All right, everyone, welcome to the Musical Splitting Podcast. I am your host and poor circulation king, commentary. <laughs> I'm so cold all the time. And, my uh, toes and fingers. <laughs> I'm just licking a giant salt brick to like get my body's blood pressure up so you know my uh, fingers aren't falling off at the slightest drop in temperature. Uh, Angelina, me, and we're just cold. It's Salt it's bay. Yes. We need to get you a salt, salt bay. bay. Absolute salt okay, bay. 50 indeed. degrees out. Like. Uh, we Californians can't handle it. Yep. I know, it's... I, uh, <sighs> And being that this is the finale, we have brought back our queen, the yes. original co-host of the Musical Spinning Podcast and New York Times bestselling author, but most importantly, our friend. Yes. Most Lindsay importantly, Ellis. my house has yes. two names <laughs> on my windows, not one, but two. So yeah. Double yeah. pain. Yeah, yeah it takes... <laughs> It Lindsay takes a minute for the cold weather, and by cold, I mean like 55. Yeah. Yes. Lindsay it's Two freezing. Pains, Lindsay, Ellis. welcome back, yeah. though. We're, yeah, we're happy pains. to have you here for this uh, momentous occasion as we say goodbye to this show yeah. for once and for And all. we're doing it with, I think, a show that people have been like, why the, f- the fuck have you guys not done this show? Uh, basically, for as long as I've been uh, co-hosting it. And there's been a yeah. lot of reason why, but it felt this, honestly, like, f- without sounding glib, felt like the right time to do it. Yeah. Because- well, it's funny, because I, I was a little resistant, because to me, the main reason we hadn't done it was because... There were no productions. Um, mm-hmm. There will be a production in April in New York, but mm-hmm. that's in April. There is one pro shot, which is the one we're going to talk about, but it's pretty old. It's not a great quality, and it's basically a proof of concept of mm-hmm. a show mm-hmm. that would go on to become a much more refined, be popular. So it's like it's very near and dear to us. By us, I mean me and Angie. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But there's not a, a lot of great ways to see it and it's it's going to be interesting to try to talk about because we have seen the probably the most famous uh, version of it besides the movie many times which yes. is the <laughs> <laughs> which is of course the uh, uh 1998 Sam Mendes production at Studio 54 of New York of Cabaret starring Alan Cumming and Natasha Henstridge and then it got revived basically identically in 2014 yeah starring mm-hmm. again Alan Cumming and Emma Stone was well, originally Michelle Williams, right? And oh, then Emma Michelle Stone Williams. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, which so. we saw for your thirtieth birthday, right? Yeah, yeah, like, it was my thirtieth birthday. This is like, like already getting into like the personal stuff, but like I, so I, um, you know how you can document long term friendships by what your friend is like obsessed with. By how many with? times you've seen cabaret? <laughs> yeah, but how many times you've seen cabaret? <laughs> but like, like I, like this is like such an um, when 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 I think of cabaret, it is like thinking of like college for me, or for mm-hmm. me high school and visiting you in college. And I had um, I had like seen the movie version of cabaret when I was about maybe in middle school, and um, my very first memory of cabaret was seeing the 1998 Tony Awards because they had Alan Cumming mm-hmm, come on and mm-hmm. do Welcome In, and that was such a stacked year in and of itself because it had like ragtime and the Lion King and, like, the Beauty Queen of Linane and Sideshow and stuff. But I remember seeing, like, the 1998 uh, Productions Tony performance of just Alan Cumming with his little glittery nipples. Yeah. And his... Uh, what? You know, <laughs> yeah. 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 Glitter nipples. Glitter, glitter nipples. nipples. Alan, and Alan glitter nipples coming. directed by Joel Schumacher? What <laughs> yeah. the fuck? Oh, Joel Schumacher only wishes. Oh, Joel, um, Joel Schumacher wishes. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it literally just, is, like, you know, one of those things where you can see Joel Schumacher just seething with envy like, that he didn't come up with that. Yeah. Right. It like, should have well, been me. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly. Yeah. And just, but turning to my mom and being like, what is this? And I never really got fully the answer because I remember watching the movie, but just it was kind of like going in and out of the room while my mom was watching it and then not really getting the full experience until I went and visited you while you were, I think, a freshman at NYU or maybe yeah, a sophomore. Yeah, yeah. And you would have been, I think, a sophomore. I was like six, 16. Yeah, I was about 16 yeah. years old. I remember because I decorated my binder my, or my full school fucking agenda and pictures of Alan coming. Oh, in yeah. The show. As soon as I got back home from New York that weekend, I was like, yeah. well, I guess this is a lifelong thing. Um, <laughs> let me check when it closed. I think it closed in 2004. Because I remember I went to college as that production, which was a very famous production, was winding down. And it was kind of uh, we didn't get to see Alan coming during the first run. And um, it was kind of going through this stunt casting phase that um, (laughs) Chicago has been in basically for the last 20 years. Uh, And we I like I believe you only contractually obligated by Bob Fosse or something. Why are those two big shows like have (laughs) to have so much stunt casting? casting. Uh, I saw the weirdest uh, MCs and some Sallies. I believe I saw uh, Adam Pascal, yeah, who you, you was did. made famous by um, Rent. Uh, terrible MC, terrible voice for it. If you if you know what Adam Pascal sounds like, he's basically like the thinking man's Nickelback, like in terms of like his quality of voice. Like, oh goodness! <laughs> see, he's a very gravelly rock, Chris Daughtry kind of thing. Very, like, it's yeah. very rock. Like he has a very like yeah yeah, uh, yeah a little. Uh, that's my my spicy Adam Pascal tech t- take, but it's true. And he's also a very beefy looking guy. He d- he didn't have like the wiry junky aesthetic of Alan Cumming. Um, John Cicada. Yeah, I was um, supposed to see John Cicada, but we got an understudy who we like fell in love with immediately because was John Cicada oh, yeah, was like slated yeah, to be on, yeah. but he was oh, out. We'll talk we about saw, him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Vance, or yeah, um, uh, I saw Raul Esparza. Oh my um, gosh. Neil Patrick Harris. Did you um, see um, John Stamos? John Stamos, I did see. John yeah. Stamos. It was a weird, very, very fast. And all of this happened like within six months. Yeah. Was um, Mike, did you see Michael C. Hall or what, what's the guy from I Dexter? Don't, I might have seen him. I, yeah. I, don't rem- wow. I don't remember him. I know I saw Molly Ringwald. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, <laughs> Sally. Uh, I guess I forget the Sallys. I'd have to go back and like look at my, 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 my stack of playbills. It sounds like a Saturday Night Live, like every week is yeah. a different guest. Yeah. John Stamos. <laughs> right. Like, there's Alan like, Le- Cumming. Leah Thompson, um, Susan Egan. Susan Egan was who we saw as Sally. Oh, Susan yeah. Egan Susan of, Egan, uh, who you Hercules. probably know from Hercules. She was yeah. Megara. And also, I believe, the original Belle on Broadway yeah. for Beating the Beast. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I remember her. Like, yeah, that was that was a great production. And that was yeah. where I, I was like... <laughs> Understudies are usually better. Wrongly, I would yeah. later find out. <laughs> Aww, the podcast history in the making there. I yeah. know. I was like, fans, fans, Avery set the bar. Our MC understudy said it so mm-hmm. high that it, I was like, understudies are great. And then it's very funny that my very first uh, appearance on this podcast had that hubris, and we learned. So wait, Lindsay, is this this is like one of your all time favorites, right? Oh like yeah, ever? yeah, yeah, absolutely. This I'd say like that's top, probably my favorite um, until Hades Town came along. I'd say it was my favorite musical because, like, I mean, I have a fondness for Phantom. Obviously, it is encoded in my DNA. But what? like, this is the first time hearing about it. <laughs> really? <laughs> I guess because it's like, well, why would we talk about it? You don't know what cabaret is about, except for like it's uh, something about uh, glittery nipples and Nazis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, two, the two genders. The two um, genders. I mean, that's a pretty good. That's a pretty 
pretty good setup. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think, really I think like, you know, Phantom is very, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's basically Twilight, right? It's the, it's like, if you're just getting into musicals, you know, it's kind of like if you're like a young teenager, you're just getting into books, you know, Twilight's a good entry point. Uh, same with Phantom, but I feel like um, Cabaret is like, there's a reason I got into it in college because it's like when you're, like of this age where you're um, kind of starting to engage with media on a deeper level um, mm-hmm. and that the story of an interpersonal relationship can also hit hard uh, why, uh, like about being like grander things and having a lot of subtext and having a lot of depth to it. And like, you know, looking back, I think that like Cabaret definitely holds up as a, you know, uh, as, 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 as especially like a piece of like experimenting with tone and how it, um, you know, plays with such a, a heavy subject matter with this very flippant attitude, basically all the way up to the end of the show, you know, the way it sort of breaks the fourth wall, uh, disarms the audience with you know, again, glittery nipples and, um, you know, and, and then, you know, basically it is, you know, about the end of an era, you know, <laughs> topically, uh, oh, it, it is about Weimar Germany. It takes place in Weimar Germany and it ends before the Nazis come to power, but like, you know, the audience knows what's coming. And so it's, a uh, like, it, it's one of those things that I, I think like it was one of the first pieces of media that really engaged me in that, like, intellectual way uh, as much as it did emotionally and yeah. aesthetically and i think that still really holds up so i am bummed that we can't do uh, a real production because angie saw the one in london that's coming to broadway this yeah. spring and i i we won't be I, able to do it because so <laughs> it was it was one of the like for i know like as much as it's like yes i obviously love phantom of the opera cabaret is a top three show for me uh, too like it, for a lot of the same reasons that Lindsay said there's also just um f- the things that it does um might in hindsight seem kind of obvious because a lot of shows have copied the way it kind of uses diegetic and non-diegetic numbers and like yeah flippancy with this really heavy subject matter but it's done so spectacularly well and, and, and the way it, it dares the audience to laugh about it in a way that yeah. is like it was kind of ahead of its time yeah yeah um, and it's and, it, and it's just that sad tragedy of time that it has aged very well, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was I, like I wanted to do it because it, it like especially like during the Trump administration, but in ways that are still very, very relevant, like. It has unfort it has unfortunately aged well. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I guess I mean that as a compliment and a condemnation. It is kind of one of those things that, like, you know, again, because it takes place in Weimar Germany, and you have a lot of characters downplaying the menace of the Nazis. You have a lot of people talking about how it's not a big deal. Like, especially one of the main Jewish characters just completely dismisses out of hand the idea that like Nazi ideology could go to its logical conclusion because that could never happen here. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of like (laughs) sound of music in that sense where it sort of lives in that little time period. as well. Yeah. That's what the show is about. Rather than with sound of music, it's just kind of in the background. Um, mm-hmm. And like the characters actually talk about it. And I think it's one of you don't really see a lot of shows talking about it with this sort of 
attitude of it couldn't happen here or, you mm-hmm. know, the good times are going to last forever. We don't need to take the fascist seriously. Yeah. Um, and that I think, you know, because we will talk about the movie because we uh, I think that is one of the big flaws of the movie, because I think the movie just really isn't interested in that um, as much as the stage show is. Uh, so it doesn't okay. really dwell on it. Like it definitely touches on it. It's there, but not as uh, centrally as it is with the stage show. Yeah. Uh, should we get into the notes? Yeah, yeah let's notes, do it. Notes clock. Notes, notes. All right. Cabaret is a stage musical drama with music by John Kander, lyrics by Fred Ebb, and a book by Joe Masteroff. It is loosely based on the 1951 John Van Druten play, I Am a Camera. Camera, which in turn was Jenna Maroney, which in turn was based on the 1939 semi-autobiographical novel Goodbye to Berlin by Christopher Isherwood. Set during the ending years of Weimar Germany, Cabaret tells the story of Clifford Bradshaw, an American writer arriving in Berlin on New Year's Eve 1929, nearly 100 years ago. Mm hmm. Through harboring lofty visions of completing his novel while giving English lessons, Cliff is almost immediately swept up by the city's decadent nightlife scene, particularly at the Kit Kat Club, a seedy cabaret hosted by a mysterious person known only as the MC. There, Cliff is introduced to Sally Bowles, a quirky, down-on-her-luck English singer who endless with, uh, whose endless problems with money, boyfriends, and life are seemingly never-ending. Despite this, she manages to convince Cliff to let her move in with him, wherein they fall into a turbulent relationship with one another. Unfortunately, Cliff's novelist aspirations are pushed to the side at the prospect of making easy money smuggling packages out of Germany for one of his students, who, against the willful ignorance of Cliff and the indifference of Sally, is a member of the rising Nazi party. And uh, let's just say things go south real quick from there for Cliff. For Sally, for their neighbors, and for the denizens of the Kit Kat Club. Do eggs and Worcester sauce make a competent hangover cure? When is a pineapple ever an appropriate gift to give a girlfriend? And what precisely <laughs> is sitting alone in your room? All this and more in Cabaret. That's quite the setup. I don't even know what the hell any of those things are referencing. Yeah, to. it'll all come hey, to like, like real ones will get it. Yeah, okay. it's, those are some deep cuts there. Yeah, just. yes. <laughs> so I, thinking, I, I believe I played uh, the pineapple song uh, Nella's Wedding. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I was also in a production of Cabaret in college, and I played uh, Frau Leinschneider, who sings the pineapple song. So it's very dear. And yeah, near it's it. called the pineapple it's song. It's called. It's not. It's it's just, that's the name of the song is the pineapple, pineapple song. song. <laughs> and I know you're probably thinking it's dirty, but it's actually very cute. It's, it's a cute song. <laughs> it's a, it's a very, you know, uh, it's 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 the calm before the storm. Yeah. Okay. While Cabaret was originally commissioned for the stage by theater producer David Black in 1963, it went through a couple of permutations before its final creative team of Kander, Ebb, Masteroff, and our boy Hal Prince in the director's chair was locked in. Good old Hal Prince. Good old Hal Prince. It de- Friend of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Friend of it- the show. <laughs> <laughs> it debuted on Broadway at the Broadhurst Theater on November 20th, 1966, where it ran for 1,166 performances before closing in 1969. Since it originally, since its original Broadway and corresponding West End runs, it has spawned multiple super high-profile, award-winning revivals, 
on both sides of the Atlantic, including one directed by Sam Mendes in the 1990s, an early film version of which we will be watching, along with an Oscar-winning 1972 feature film directed by Bob Fosse and starring Bob Fosse. Not which starring we Bob Fosse. That was me. <laughs> I was like, that's Liza oh, Minnelli. Not starring. No, not starring Bob Fosse. That's uh, my fault right there. One last typo to say goodbye to the pod. Starring not Bob Fosse, but Liza <laughs> but Minnelli. Liza Minnelli. Easy to confuse the two of them. It's easy. It's super easy. Very on a, similar on a, in appearance. On a related note, it is interesting how back then, I just watched this uh, video about uh, Anthony Perkins and Psycho, mm-hmm. how your mm-hmm. star-making turn could also ruin your career. Oh, it, sure. If, if you did too good a job. <laughs> you know, I think, I think Liza Minnelli, like obviously her career wasn't ruined, but she never got to like take on any really meaty roles after Cabaret because she was so iconic in Cabaret. Well, what do Everyone you mean? Was You're like, forgetting about Lucille. <laughs> oh, yes, it's true. It's, it's, like, it's, it's kind of like Henry Winkler. It's like everybody, Arrested Development rose from the ashes, all of these like boomers who like had their one star making turn in the 70s. Right. <laughs> Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. <laughs> you got a stew going. got a stew going. <laughs> Jinx. Yes. Uh, who who was made fa- Liza Minnelli made famous by Lucille too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, you're right though. She's always kind of been playing a permutation of uh Liza Minnelli as Sally Bowles kind of since then, you know, mm-hmm. like and and a lot of her like bread and butter has been doing songs from this. And what's also yeah. interesting to me, um I know songs that we were ha- written for her, right? Like Right, so- yeah. So to trace the history of the show, um it's interesting how a lot of the sh- the uh, original version didn't have songs that were really, really popular in the 90s version. Those were actually written for the movie and I think for Liza Minnelli specifically, yeah. uh, like for her voice, because I think there is a very mm-hmm. good case to be made that some of these songs were peaked in 1971, right? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like uh, uh, the, the lead song, Cabaret. Is a is it, I don't want to say it's like a difficult song technically, but I think it is a difficult song to pull off. It's an because acting. It's, it's an a, acting yeah. song, so you have to be a, both a really good actor and a really good singer. I think the acting side tends to be the side that like takes it uh, because like you think of Natasha Henstridge uh, who originated the role of Sally in the 1998 Broadway revival. People were so mean so to her. Mean, yeah. <laughs> I remember there was this really mean, like, forbidden Broadway parody calling her a donkey yeah. because she what? couldn't sing as well yeah. Jesus Christ. as yeah. Liza Minnelli and other other Sallies that came before. It's, it's a difficult song to sing because it's like, comes at the end of the show, the character's at the end of her rope, so it's like you can't. It doesn't really ring true if you're like at the peak of your technical game. So what a lot of actresses do is they'll like scream it. Yeah. <laughs> like that's what Emma Stone did. Um, and I thought it worked great. Uh, yeah. There's there's that debate of like, should Sally Bowles be a good and we can like kind of get yeah. more into this in the second half. But mm-hmm. there's this debate of should Sally Bowles actually be a good singer. And like the fact that most people, their entry point to Cabaret is the 1972 movie where you have Liza Minnelli doing the most. And again, like you said, uh, like mm-hmm. maybe this time was written for the movie and mine hair was written for the movie. And like mm-hmm. those two mm-hmm. songs are like two of the most, I guess, iconic ones. From yeah. It. Yeah. Maybe um, this time in particular. I think yeah. Is a difficult song to pull off, even though it's not technically difficult. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a solid, like 
alto, you know, yeah. <laughs> but it's like there's a lot of acting that has to go into it in order to make it compelling. And I do think it's fair to say that Natasha Henstridge couldn't do it because she's just not a very good singer. She's a all the outside. I, I remember it well. Like something's Some- bound to be good. Yeah, it's 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 a uh, I, I I have a fondness for listening to her, but again, yeah, we'll get more into it in the second act, but um. I love the debate of should Sally be a good singer, yeah. and it's it's fun watching different productions uh, play with it. Because like when I saw it in London, uh, the woman I saw, whose name I will remember for the second half, was obviously an incredible singer trying to like I guess slum it vocally for it. So it was it was interesting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say this: uh, Cabaret is my go-to piano bar song, um, and, <laughs> and the kids the kids love always it. kills the kids love it. It kills. Um, yeah, there's a lot of bangers in this one. Um, I'm sure I, we never really asked Kava. Are you familiar with anything else about Cabaret? Because a lot of the songs oh, yeah, in this are standards. Me? At this no, point. I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no actually, I don't. I know. I did. I didn't speak up because I I know nothing about it. I I haven't seen it. Okay, well, well, this will be interesting. I, I, it might be like an osmosis thing, like you said, like you've said with previous shows, where I'll be like, "Oh, that's what that's from." Yeah, but I don't. I'm not I imagine it will be because, again, like Cabaret is one of those like '70s Oscar winners that hasn't been lost to time, you know. Because mm-hmm. I think that like the '70s was the first decade where like you know a lot of the Oscar winners were just purely, purely there for like critics and nobody else. And but but like Cabaret is definitely one of those like you know, uh, especially Liza Minnelli. Uh, did Joel Grey win? I know he was nominated. For I think Best Joel Grey. Joel Grey won for an. This yeah, is, I think, like, it won. It won eight Oscars. The only one it didn't win that it was nominated for was Best Best Picture. Picture. Yeah, believe, was like it, wasn't or, it up against The Godfather? Like, I think, actually, yeah, I think I think it was The Godfather. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. that was that was like one of those years where. Yeah. Oh, this show does remind me a lot of like of Gypsy, which is one of my other, you know, like a top five show for me kind All right. of in what it does. So I'm 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 hoping you, you enjoy this one, especially since it's I hope the I last it one. Well, yeah. It'd be a nice note to end on. So so we're good. We're ready, ready to go to the cabaret. We're about to come hear the we're music play. Go, go down by the bay. Go what get do you some say? Kit Kats, yeah, I guess is what they sell. I assume. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe they have those that. good Japanese varieties where it's like yeah. you know. Oh, Cheesecake. Yeah, but be careful. The they don't have ones. preservatives in them, so you gotta eat them fast. Yeah. That's true. Found they, that they, out the hard way. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're gonna go eat some Kit Kats, watch Cabaret, come back and discuss. Glitter nipples for all. Glitter nipples for all. We are back from Germany. <laughs> You sound so excited. <laughs> I didn't really like Germany at that time. I yeah. Mean, hot well, take, no, but, but that it was, wasn't the best. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, it was the fun time before yeah. the best. Time. <laughs> yeah, it was the best of times, and then it became very much the, the worst, worst, the worst of, times. of times. Yeah, yeah. I forget. It was it's like the show takes place in 1929. 29, I yeah. think. Is so what it's it is. like yeah, not only before 30. the Nazis, it's before the stock market crash. So it's before a lot of like precipitating factors. Yeah. Uh, yeah, things things go as I said in, in the notes. When I say things go south, they boy do they go south. Um, we are at the beginning of the going south by the end of this show. But yeah, uh, cabaret. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> so we watched both versions. We watched both the Alan Cumming uh, circa nineteen ninety nine, looking like he was the lead singer. It was AFI. Ni- that was actually nineteen ninety. <laughs> Yeah, I believe this is the prototype. No, no, no. I mean, he looks looks like uh, AFI in 1999 is specifically what he looks like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I was getting mindless self-indulgence, but, you know, 
neither here nor there, but yeah, yeah a, li- very, a little, a little bit hardcore. of MCR. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah Cause I, I want to think that like that version that we saw didn't have eyeliner, but by the time it made it to Broadway, he did. He guy lined it. Yeah. So, so much memory. eyeliner. There, there was a lot in that. Um, but yeah, so we watched the 1993 Sam Mendes uh, pro shoot that was shot for, I think, Channel 4 in the UK, and then we watched the 1972 mm-hmm. uh, Bob Fosse movie. And our boy Bob Fosse. Our boy Bob Fosse. Uh, yeah, and lots, lots to discuss. It's been a while. I, I don't think I've seen the movie um, in maybe since college, honestly, because I, I remember mm-hmm. having such strong feelings about the stage version that the movie for yeah. me didn't really hold a lot of interest. But I've had some some interesting thoughts now, having revisited it and then watched, you know, the stage version of Cabaret 8,000 times over the last, you know... 15, 16, 17, 18, yeah. 19, 20. I'm old years. Um, but yeah, uh, wanna wanna just get right and through some uh, significant differences between yes. a couple of significant differences between the two versions. Mm-hmm. But I guess maybe yeah, it's we just should kind start. of it's kind of hard to plot summarize considering uh, that they they are pretty different plot wise. Uh, there is one major character in the movie that is not in the show at all. Uh, mm-hmm. Unless arguably the character Max is like Sally's club owner boyfriend yeah barely a part very tiny part very different in the movie the short plot summary is cliff richards in the movie his name is brian um another weird thing i guess because he's british like they you can't you wouldn't buy a, a brit named cliff cliff Cliff. But Cliff Richards, Cliff. Cliff Richards of the Rolling Stones is British. Cliff Bradshaw. He could be of- Clifford. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess because it's interesting. Like in the movie, their nationalities are separate, so, yeah. uh, are switched. So Sally is American and Cliff is British, where in the stage show, she's British and he's American. Switcheroo. Um, but basically, Cliff uh, slash Brian moves to Berlin to find himself as an artist because Berlin is like the artistic capital of the world in the late 1920s. You know, mm-hmm. r- uh, inflation is run away. Uh, it's it's kind of bad, but also it's great because it's like just a really freewheeling kind of culture that you're not going to find anywhere else. And like this definitely holds up as far as history is concerned. Like we can talk about the way, you know, Weimar era Germany was like extremely ahead of the curve in in relation to like gender studies and Mm -hmm. uh, science and how the Nazis destroyed a lot of that science. Yeah. Uh, We can talk about that later. And uh, basically he meets this girl named Sally, who is an aspiring actress slash singer. She works at a cabaret called the Kit Kit Kat Club. And we are all um, you know, having fun and also Cliff Enamored. needs money. So while yeah. he is because he's there to write the next great yeah. novel. He's, so while he's working on his novel, he starts song. taking on English students with this German speaking guy who speaks English remarkably well. I don't yeah. think he needs yeah. lessons, but OK. <laughs> and and this guy's like, you know, what? you can make even more money, you know, running some papers for me across the border. You know, nobody needs to know. And Cliff's like, sure, I need the money. Why not? And he starts doing that. And in the meantime, he and Sally yeah. hook up. Low risk. They start living together. They're like having fun. And eventually, oops, she gets pregnant. And then they're kind of like, well, this, you know, we could take care of this the old, yeah. well, the old fashioned, new fashioned way. <laughs> or, you know, maybe we should just lean into this. Maybe we should, you know, go be. Become parents. Yeah. <laughs> go parents. 
Yeah. So um, amongst this is the backdrop of, uh, you know, the rise of the Nazis, which none of the characters take particularly seriously, which is it is funny to think like how this is the only show or movie or slash whatever I can think of that actually depicts fascism in this way, mm-hmm. um, where where it's not this like rising, you know, Star Wars level menace, but. Uh, a genuine like, oh, we're, this would never happen here. You know, this yeah. is Germany. It's the liberal capital of Europe. We're full of like, you know, trans people and Jews and all sorts of we're fun stuff. It would never, yeah, never. We ha- just, we're too we progressive. Never it would it. never happen here. And I guess like after this point, it's like the the structure is a little. Uh, you know, it's not very three act in either the movie or the show. No, but basically, what happens is. Uh, it kind of destroys all of the relationships in the show one mm-hmm. by one as sort of a microcosm for the deterioration of the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I guess are forced in, to... specifically in the stage show, there is the woman who rents the rooms out to Cliff, who is um, uh, uh, she falls in love with a Jewish tenant of hers. And they start out like wide eyed, like it'll be fine. And then by the end, yeah, of they're, it, older, it, they're, they're older. Like, and it's they're very f- cute. They're like, you know what? We should just live our truth. We're yeah. fucking. We're you know yeah. hit, we're hitting Air it Schultz. like every yeah. night. Yeah, we should just you know live our truth and get married. And, right. It's like you know, we're old. We've, we've, we've survived. Stand. Yeah, like we've survived so many other things. Like we can make this work. They're like we're yeah we're we're old. We, we've shit. seen it all. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. They they go into this relationship with a very. We have nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah, very young. They're inspired by their young people yeah. tenants, and then they yeah. realize they actually. Well, I guess the the gentile half of the relationship realizes she has quite a bit to lose. This is a very large uh, portion of the stage show. Mm-hmm. It is non-existent in the movie, which I think is one of the great war crimes of the movie, <laughs> which should be tried at the Hague. Uh, <laughs> it is replaced with a truly, genuinely pointless. Uh, thanks, I hate it. Young man's relationship, which has no stakes and makes no sense and has no consequence. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, I have been kind of revisiting the movie off and on since I was an adolescent. Mm-hmm. And my feelings really have not changed. If anything, they've soured. I still think that, I think the movie is like the sum of its parts are greater than the whole. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I'm looking forward to hear what you guys think with regard to. You know, because I guess we've we've already gone through Angie and I's feelings on the stage show and how it yeah. means a lot to us. But we can, well, let's let's talk to Kave and see what he thinks. No, it's 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 funny because this movie brought up a certain amount of feelings of I say this every episode almost of being old, mm-hmm. uh, and so much that you look at the main characters and I'm like, I don't relate to young people anymore. I don't <laughs> relate to like any of the decisions that they made. I don't judge them for it because I was also too once a young person and understood. And understand that sort of transitional period of being in your early twenties. I'm like, gonna be a writer. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. going to. I'm gonna fix everything. Yeah, we I, can make it happen. Yeah, right. while I work on the great American novel. Right, great I'm, I'm gonna be an actress. It will change the world. Yeah, it it'll will change the world. Yeah. I will change the world. I'm gonna write this one song. Yeah, this yeah. one song on the guitar that's gonna save humanity. Whatever it is. Yeah. One great, and one then great being novel. Like, yeah, maybe I should have a kid with my friend that I get along with because that's basically all adulthood is. Yeah, yeah. All, that's all those different decisions. Uh, I feel like it's interesting for me to have seen it at the age that I'm at now because I just was like, you crazy kids. Like, you don't even know, like, what's ahead of you. So uh, the uh, Air Schultz and um, I forget what the landlord's last Schneider. name was. A Schneider. That 
uh, romance becomes more interesting to me, uh, not only because of their age, but also for personal reasons, because the idea of an older person bringing you fruit as like an act of affection (laughs) is like a very, for lack of a better word, like it's a very like immigrant grandmother thing as well. Or it's like, it reminded me of my grandmother. It's, like, it's not me just my dad. Fruit. Like, it's a pine- right. pineapple. <laughs> this, this is a thing that happens like fairly early on in the show is like his gesture of love, like yeah. beyond just the bump and ugly. Cause I think they were just like before this point, friends with Benny's. And then he brings, yeah. he owns a fruit stand and he brings her a pineapple and it's 1928 and it's Germany. So this is a big deal. You it's know, like, exciting. Yeah. yeah. So they have this whole musical number and in the studio 54 version, I don't, I don't think it's in this one. They have like a chandelier oh, yeah, that, yeah. that like descend from, <laughs> yes. the, from the ceiling. It's so fun. And it's, it's very cute. And then yeah. like, there's multiple dancers in the background with like pineapples. So it's like, um, yeah, yeah, I, I can see that. Yeah, that that part of it was very endearing. And then, of course, it ends very tragically. And and Schultz is interesting because he's like, it's really heartbreaking where he's just like, well, I know how the Germans think because I'm German. So I I know that we'll get through this, even though he's a uh, Jewish German person, but he still sees himself as right. not separate, which is what clear, others will see him as. I think this one of the brilliant things about this show is that it, it moves in subtext so much, because when you say tragically, mm-hmm. the worst thing that happens to this guy in this show is he gets a window broken. You know, like sure, he, right? Yeah, it's. I like, guess it's implied. Yeah, yeah you're it's, right. It's, and I think that's what makes what it, will it, happen to him. It makes it a lot stronger than if he like got carried away by the SS. You know, because it's just like we know what's going to happen, and by the end of the show, he feels like, you know, she's kind of being a coward, which I guess she is, but like yeah. she's also being a realist. You know, because like she breaks up with him because she's like. If the Nazis come to power, I'll lose my license. I'll lose my, you know, boarding house. I can't lose. Like, I have, you know, this is all I have. I can't lose this just to marry some guy. You know, yeah. and I'm very sad about all this, but this is just my pragmatic, like, way of, like, ducking my head and surviving this thing that I kind of sense is coming. And his yeah. attitude is like, well, you know, I think she's wrong. I think yeah. everything's going to be fine, but I'm very sad about this. Yeah, I think I think that to me, that's kind of like a lot of the power of this show for me is when I think about specifically musical theater that handles the subject of like Nazi Germany in particular. Um, mm-hmm. There is just the tendency for like characters who have figured it out or are the Nazis, you know, like everyone is like on that side of good or bad for lack of a better word. And nobody like like, yeah, like yeah. Fra- Fraulein Schneider here is like you could say she's a coward, but also there is there is this great area that she exists in that is very tragic and and, and real and and the musical is yeah. not afraid to do that and then and and and, and yeah, like about- you don't hate her by the end of it either because no, it's just yeah. like no she's not a collaborator yeah you know mm. and it's just sort of like the, the her last song is called what would you do and i think that's another thing that this show does that it doesn't assume the audience like thinks like well i'd be better than that because it's like would you would yeah. you Probably also not. at at that <laughs> point too, like you know, it's something to be said about something so horrific not even being in the popular imagination of like thinking that the world would end up going the way that it did. Like 
we're mm-hmm. on the other side of this in history. So we're like, oh, fuck, like, yeah, the Holocaust, like that's like we are all we all we take for granted that we know that as a reference point. Right. right yeah. But somebody in, in 1929 wouldn't they can't even imagine something doing shit right, like doing yeah, some insane I, shit like that. For, for a very stupid point of comparison, you think of the uh, Fantastic Beast movie. Oh, God. Where uh, Johnny. <laughs> yeah. Like Johnny Depp shows them like World War Two and they're all like, oh, my God, that's horrible. And it like ends on a mushroom clouds. And I'm like, how the fuck do these wizards know what a mushroom cloud is? Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> they're going to see that. They're going to be like, OK, right. Is that a is that a is that a mushroom spell? Like they they have no point of reference right. to be like, yeah. oh, my God, that's horrible. I'm going to join the fascist. Right. <laughs> These muggles must right. be stuck. I think those movies might be kind of bad. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just put it out there. But but in regards to, to that relationship being taken out of the film version, uh, it was also interesting to think about it. Well, you're like, yeah, well, it's a Bob Fosse joint. So I don't think that he's going to be like, let's do this like subtle old people love story. We want to see. He wants to see like the young people running around and like flailing their limbs around in crazy angles and dancing as much as well, possible yeah, but he, and being he, weird and he horny. He replaces it with a very stoic young people Yeah, two, two hot young people yeah. who make the right two decision. Young, two hot young people who don't dance and the dog dies, but they get married anyway and it's fine. Yeah, we were left Cause to... Because there's this revelation about the, um, the Gentile in that relationship uh, being Jewish, actually, secretly, mm-hmm. but then they get married and it's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's very strange. I genuinely like. There's so many decisions in the movie that I don't understand. Well, <laughs> I, I, I was wondering about that specifically. Where did that come from? That actually comes from the play version that like preceded this. I am a camera. That is a plot line. Same with Max, the right. Max character uh, as Max, yeah, the, the Baron. I who, did know yeah. that about Max because Max in the show, who is a very small part, and it's Sally's boyfriend, who may or may not have knocked her up, uh, is in the in the movie a much bigger character who. He's an he's evil bisexual playboy. Baron playboy. Yeah, he's an, yeah. I guess he, he's more like a chaotic neutral bisexual. Let's give him that because he doesn't do anything bad. That's true, yeah. <laughs> he just kind of shows up, takes him on a wild weekend, may or may not have knocked Sally up, <laughs> and then just leaves. And they're not particularly heartbroken about it. They're like, whoa, well, that happened. Oh, yeah, they get their $300. <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, like, well, they're yeah. like, well, I guess we're prostitutes now. Anyway, back to <laughs> the really cat funny. club. Yeah. Yeah. I like that whole subplot. But I think oh, in, I hate in regards it. I to- I hate that subplot. I hate it so much. It's so funny. I was like, you young people. You, I just, again, I was old. It's so I'm just so like, pointless. you guys don't even know. Like, I just, I hate this about happen. the movie is it replaces so much of the stuff with like- uh, just pointless crap that has nothing to do with the overarching themes and especially like the abortion subplot. It just is shoehorned in there at the last second. It serves a similar purpose, but like, whereas in the show, it's kind of like a mm-hmm. tension thing that kind of is a scaffolding on which we hang their relationship. In the mm-hmm. movie, it shows up at around the two hour mark and is resolved about 10 minutes later. Yeah, it's very, it's, <laughs> it suffers from not having it drawn out for sure. It also does yeah. like the thing of like, and, and I can't tell, I, I couldn't honestly say if this was in the original 60s production where the abortion happens after the title song or um, mm. uh, if it happens before, because uh, it's really weird in the movie. She sings it after the abortion is revealed and it just, I don't know, it kind of like, it, t- it doesn't quite have the same impact as like it ha- her singing that song and then them having that conversation that destroys and unravels everything about them entirely. Like, I don't know. For me, I'm just like, no, uh, sorry, Bob Fosse. I would not have 
put that after um, or before rather just because like I don't know like when she sings cabaret I don't know how much of it is just because oh it's Liza Minnelli singing cabaret but you're kind of like okay this is this is fine whatever you know I don't know I, I have to say really about like um, the, the hot younger couple that replaces the older couple in the stage show is that I think it just kind of lacks the forward momentum of everything that happens yeah with with um, Fraulein Kost and Air Schultz it's, it's kind of gone because like yeah there's nothing there's no real big deal and like again with a lot of the stage show plays with what we know about the future so when you have like these really like almost harmless conversations about like oh I'm Jewish and she's like oh that's fine and you know you know it's not going to be fine and like the only real tension that happens in the movie between these two characters is like she's rich and she won't like me and like uh you know and it's just yeah. I, I don't care like I don't and I don't she care finds out me. he's Jewish and it's fine yeah, and, and fine. we assume they leave the country I guess because they're rich and it's fine yeah I don't, I don't know. know. It's it's a very straight because I think that's the thing is like there's no real consequence. And uh, the thing in the stage show is like the, you know, you could argue that Fraulein Schneider and Herr Schultz are, uh, are, are in some ways more central characters because they do have a lot of screen time, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, theirs is, is the one that's a big consequence, like their relationship breaks down right? Uh, because of the political situation outside forces yeah. and it's right. like it is that is sort of true for you know sally and cliff like why their relationship breaks down has a little bit less to do with the social forces and more to do with the fact that they just are both really immature you know and yeah sally at least knows this about herself right um, but he he at least sort of <laughs> has somewhat of an understanding of what's happening outside their own walls yeah. i mean you could argue that like there's a part of it that that does, that does influence his decision to just fucking leave yeah so he's, he's like, like Fuck this. we're going to use this we're gonna leave. like yeah nuclear family ideal as an excuse to leave and she's like no i don't want to leave because there's no problem um you know <laughs> right. while also actually assessing herself as uh you know uh, as an immature person who could not live this life and would resent the shit out of him yeah and you know the same would apply in the opposite so i guess in a way like they're both ignoring very major you know, yeah. fa fa uh, factors that should go into this decision. Cliff is ignoring the interpersonal stuff and Sally is ignoring the reality. Yeah. And meanwhile, you have your B couple here who have both of that. Like, like it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's so good. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Love it. Uh, sorry, movie. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the, the thing that always bugged me about, because like the, revisiting the 1993 version, I'm like, mm -hmm. well, it's mostly there. There's some costume decisions like that they changed for the Studio 54 version for, you know, in my opinion, the better. I think the thing that always really soured me the most on it is they have these lines of dialogue at the very end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that I really hate. Yeah. Where they're just kind of re reiterating lines that are just like, they're just school children throwing bricks through my window. It's fine, you know. And in the Studio 54 version, they just cut it out. Like, there's no dialogue at the end. Um, they... Yeah, they just shine the spotlight on the characters, and you get it. You don't need them to reiterate their, like, you know, little statement of purpose. Yeah. <laughs> in conclusion, Germany is a land of contrast. There's also, I think, just one of the most, like, striking things I've ever seen in the stage show, where it's like, because, yeah, this one, is it's, like, 80% of the way there to what it becomes at Studio 54, but, like, one of my favorite things about the Studio 54 version is when the stage opens up where he repeats all the intro lines, like, everything's, life is beautiful, here's beautiful, and then you see mm -hmm. the orchestra, there's nothing actually on the stage, it's just him. Like, the stage is completely empty, like, the orchestra is gone. 
fine. It's just like this brightly lit, empty stage. And yeah. you can hear the music playing off in the distance somewhere. And it's just like, to me, I remember seeing that for the first time in, you know, high school and being mm-hmm. floored by it. Just like, um, I don't know. So I, I miss yeah. that in particular Which, watching this. Yeah. But yeah. Which, um, by the way, Lindsay, as I was watching that, I kept hearing the word fremda and I was like, why is that word rambling around in my head? And I was like, it's spelled different in German. But I just was like, why do I? Re- I was like, I know that. I'm like, why do I remember saying that word over and over again? And I couldn't again. figure it out. Yeah, and yeah. it took me two days. And I was like, oh, because yeah. I read Thanks it for, for a fucking the tie book. Out. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. in Esperanto, it's spelled with an A, but in German, it's spelled with an E. And they <laughs> do kind of mean different things. <laughs> kind of. But I was like, is that where you got it from? I was like, is that yeah. the influence for it? <laughs> I think subconsciously, yeah. That's why I chose it. Because it, like, yeah, but I think it's kind of like in Germany, there's it, like Fremda is the uh, uh, word that's kind of like a friendly word for foreigner mm-hmm. as opposed to like mm-hmm. Auslander, which is sort of like the more technical term for it that kind of has that like hint of like, you know, like like the Hindi Farang, which is where we get Ferengi from. Mm. Yeah, Farangi. It's in Farsi too. Same oh yeah, thing. For, yeah. Mm. So a little, there's a little bit of an edge to it, you know, like yeah. a foreigner. Yeah. Like, you know, so, so Fremda is a more friendly word. Mm. Fun um, fact. Yes, but it was ringing around, yeah. Uh, what about his, okay, so I confuse the two, his sexuality between the stage show versus the movie and like what the decision was to change that. Cause the only reason I could think of was maybe like giving it more something compli- more complicated in the film version is like a place to arrive at or something. I don't, I don't really know. I don't yeah. know. I feel like that if, if there's one criticism I have of the stage show, it's that Cliff's bisexuality genuinely does not seem to serve any purpose or go yeah. anywhere yeah. or have any consequence, you know? Yeah. If you do come out um, to see this uh, new version of it, they don't change anything. The book is exactly the same, but the way it's staged mm-hmm. does actually like lean way more into Cliff being bisexual if not yeah I, I guess it's it's like he there's something for him here like there's a reason for him to be in berlin yeah mm-hmm. like and I, I i assume that's why it was there so i guess like they made it more of a text thing that it's not just that he's like a weird like i'm i'll try i'm up for whatever it's more just like this is where he is at home yeah and also it's yeah. supposed to be you know the the stand-in for uh christopher isherwood too who mm-hmm. was queer so yeah like i think that's also why it exists um but yeah, it, it it is interesting how the movie like leans way more into that. And I don't know if it's like part of like, oh, new cinema exploring. <laughs> We're putting it out there, man. I don't know. But like uh, but they don't show they anything. don't show anything. They just kind no, of all have yeah, like they almost do. They touch they foreheads. Yeah, they all touch yeah. foreheads. And uh, yeah. <laughs> and it feels like this E2 Mama Tambien scene where you're like <laughs> yeah, they're about sure. to have a three way right. kiss and then they don't. Yeah, and I didn't <laughs> like that movie either. Like, I guess like I, I don't like this the sinister undertones yeah, of it all yeah. for this thing that is functionally harmless. You know? yeah. Yeah. It's like they, they frame it like it's this, oh, are you sure you want to go there? And it's like, yeah. well, so what if they do? It's like, yeah. Is that not why they are here? Yeah. I think the thing that I was trying to go back and saying like, oh, that I did really like about the film um, that I kind of forgot was the musical numbers. I'm like, they actually Mm -hmm. rule quite. I I, I definitely, if I revisit something, I'll just watch the individual musical numbers on YouTube. I watch the shit out of those. Fosia is best. Yeah. Money, uh, also written for the movie. Yeah. No, no, no. No, 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 no. It was Money, Mine Hair. um, It's Mine Hair and Me This Time. uh, Yeah. Yeah. But not... uh, don't tell Mama. Don't tell Mama was in the original yeah. stage show. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. What's interesting to me about Maybe This Time is that song was originally written for um, Kay Ballard, who is a, a really, really popular Broadway performer in the 60s. If you've ever seen the 60s Cinderella, she's in that. But um, Liza had recorded it like twice before this movie even came out. So it was already kind of like, here's Liza doing her signature song and it rules. And I'm glad they decided to put it in there and that subsequent versions have realized, yes, this song is absolutely necessary to this show. Um, yeah, because she doesn't have an I want song. No. Mm-hmm. And if she needs her I want song. Yeah. And boy, is it a fun one to sing in the shower. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I also think it's really interesting watching the way he choreographs uh, the set pieces on stage mm-hmm. uh, because it's so it's weird to say this because he's a choreographer, but he almost doesn't look at people as like entire bodies, but instead like different limbs that can move around and like do specific stuff that he can cut together in like an interesting pattern. Like. At one point, there's like a bunch of people. I think it's like their fucking knees are up in the air mm-hmm. and then like their legs are bending a different way and then their hands are by the ground and like they're snapping. And it's yeah, like, it's mine really hair, abstracted. Yeah. Is it that mine hair? Or it's like it's you're he also abstracts seeing through, like, the body. Chair legs, too. It's like being filmed through yeah, like different. It's really yeah. insane. Yeah, it's 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 fucking. <laughs> cool. But it's like this very hypnotic cutting pattern that he has between these things where it's, where it's almost like, oh, this is just a collection of limbs that can do cool movement and make noises. And like, that's the thing that he's fascinated by, which is what makes those sequences so interesting because it becomes so kind of uh, pure cinema kind of thing where it's like it's really interesting to see what he does there. And and the rest of those sequences in the film uh, end up picking up a lot of pace and making it really interesting. Whereas the sort of dramatic stuff doesn't have as much of like intensity. Yeah. In that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think uh, that's, that's ultimately it is. I think that there's a lot of high concept stuff going on that in isolation is really cool to watch. It's just that it doesn't really tie in <laughs> in a meaningful no, way. Cause it's so quiet. Yeah. You could, you could see it as if it was, it's tricky though. Right. Cause you can see it as like a song of like, okay, well here's a big fast chorus and like a slower verse and a big fast chorus. And, back and forth, but it never kind of really like congeals in the same way that you would want it to in terms of like the visual aesthetic and the cutting patterns mm-hmm. or just, just the, just the plot. Like, you know, yeah, just, that's too, yeah. I think that's the thing is just like these, uh, you know, high concept cutting patterns that are kind of tying in this sort of like neo fascistic way of moving with this, older Weimar, you know, limbs flailing style of dance that was more like, you know, Bertolt Brecht, Kurt Weill, even though I know they're not a dancer, whatever. Uh, you know, just that sort of metropolis era of 1920s German expressionism. And then you have this plot that just kind of meanders and then like some Nazis show up around halfway when they're like at a picnic or something. And some kids sing the song that has kind of become infamous. Yeah. It's called Tomorrow Belongs to Me. And it's kind of become infamous because it's one of those songs that has arguably been like claimed by the alt-right. I, yeah. don't, I don't know how true that is. I think that maybe is a little uh, giving them too much credit. <laughs> it was actually used by a gay Nazi group in the United States in the 70s. If you go on Wikipedia, actually, because I was wondering the same question. I was like, how much mm-hmm. of that is actually like true and how much of that is just like people worrying about that? And actually is unfortunately a little true. <laughs> like, a little true. Uh, it's kind of true. true. They weren't belting it at like the Charlottesville. You know, it's like no. not not very widespread. But there are point. a bunch of like no. um of like a, a ultra right fascist right like metal bands that have covered it and like Italian youth groups have used it like it's so it, it, it is true unfortunately and it's the irony of it being written by two gay Jewish men and you know just now yeah. being well, I guess str- that, like what we find is that like you know or as we have discussed in other related media is like 
Nazis don't care. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. <laughs> they don't care right. who wrote yeah. it if they can use it. Right, yeah. Culture vultures. Yeah. No, but um, I guess like going back to uh, what you were saying earlier is like this, the, the, the dramatic stuff has like this very, I, I don't know, it almost feels like not made for TV kind of feel to it. But like, I don't know, it just feels so like bland compared to what goes on in the Kit Kat Club. And I couldn't tell like if that's for purpose or just, nah, it's just boring. And <laughs> this it's, is, it's boring not, on it's purpose. Boring. It's boring. That's my art. Like <laughs> yeah. if you don't get it, then it's just... boring on purpose. Well, he's, he's also, he's Brian, he's Brian in the movie. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, Brian in the, in the movie. movie. Right. Yeah. He's kind of milk toast. Like he's not that interesting of a lead character necessarily either. Right. Like agent ba- basil exposition. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's also what I kept thinking about too. Um, Austin, well, well, hello. 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 Yeah. <laughs> uh, but like, especially when you compare it to, you know, all that jazz, for example, where he's well, Roy Schneider's playing himself. He's this fucking disaster of a man. So it's fun to watch this train wreck all the way through his life. And every decision that he makes is like interesting and bizarre and like not good for himself or anybody. So you kind of can't, can't help but look away. But like this is the downside of having a character who's very reserved and, you know, for somewhat understandable purposes in terms of trying to hide who we think or who he really is. Yeah. But it, it doesn't necessarily make, doesn't make for good television. As yeah, the producers yeah, would say. yeah, exactly. It also doesn't really go anywhere. No, <laughs> like, there's never any big, like, you know, h- him exploding out of his shell and it like going too far. Like, you know, the most we get is him kind of implying that he slept with the Baron at one point and then Liza gets mad. Right. It's not like in the stage show where he like <laughs> he hits Sally after like she has an abortion right, right, right. and then like the they, and they, like she doesn't go with him to the train station. He just like pe- like it is like fractured in a way that I don't think ever really comes through in the movie. Mm-hmm. And so you get the yeah. sense of like, he came yeah, to, they bur- seem to, they leave on kind of good terms. In yeah. The movie. Yeah. It's sort of like with the backdrop of all that's happening. The movie has a weirdly happy ending. Yeah. It just really pulls its punches. I think, I think the thing I take from this and I'm sure like the Fosse fans will really <laughs> disagree is I just don't think Fosse was fundamentally very interested in that point in history, which is weird. Mm. It's very weird. Because mm. like, I feel like you can't really capture like Weimar Germany as a concept, especially that aspect of Weimar Germany is like party central that was full of like liberals and outcasts and queer people mm-hmm. that and, and and not incorporate the fact of like how fundamentally doomed it was and the reality that Nazi Germany was on some level because I know everybody like harps on like the inflation and the, like losing World War One and Hitler hated the Jews, but like as we are seeing now, a huge component of the rise of the Nazis, which by the way, no more than thirty four percent of the German people ever voted for. So the Germans, even at their worst, were more progressive than we are right <laughs> now. But you know, just just throwing that out Jesus. there. Um, uh, yeah, because because Hitler failed his way up because Hindenburg died. We don't need to talk about that. But <laughs> but 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 my point is like, you, how can you like really incorporate the wholeness and what is fascinating about Weimar Germany without you know taking into consideration the fact that the rise of the Nazis was in large part a backlash to the fact that you know Germany, but Berlin in particular was so open and liberal and accepting. And, like, the Mm -hmm. fact that we're living through that right now, like, you know, why is this culture war bullshit happening in the way that it is? Yeah. It's, you know, the the increased visibility, is particularly of, like, you know, know, Black Lives Matter and trans people. Right. 
And mm-hmm. I, I think what what with the idea that like uh, I guess Brian and Sally's relationship kind of ends on a happier note in the movie that is missing for me. And what what the the new version of Cabaret played into a lot is Cliff of, of this idea of Cliff running somewhere where he thinks he can, you know, hide. He's constantly kind of trying to hide things about himself that he wants to confront, mm-hmm. but doesn't know how to confront. And, you know, it's the same thing with like, yeah, I'll marry you, Sally, and have a baby. And, you know, this is this I'll figure this out. And like there's kind of his kind of thread for me his thematic thread for me is that there is nowhere you can run you know like you are going to if you if you are always running you're yeah you're always going to be running you know there's there's nowhere to hide and you will never find that sense of self you will just always run and uh that's missing you know even as much as they're like oh we're gonna have the movie they basically (laughs) end with a high five right exactly (laughs) good luck sally good luck yeah yeah they touched foreheads great job then they're yeah she gives her cute little like um manic pixie yeah. dream girl goodbye like, sorry about the abortion you i didn't really want it anyway yeah it's, it's, <laughs> you it's, know it's what fun. don't worry about it i'm glad i didn't have to pay for it right it's it's uh yeah <laughs> fur coats like, are cheap <laughs> right fur coats they are quite we uh, don't have medical yet yeah meta germany <laughs> um but yeah like I think is that that is what is missing for me with this. We have bisexuality ooh, in the movie, but it's mm-hmm. not really. It, it doesn't have yeah. any meaningful impact. Yeah, it doesn't it. have any bite. It doesn't go anywhere. And it, it, I feel like the way the movie ends, you know, Nazi Germany may or may not come to power, you know. They're on the ground now. Yeah, yeah, and that also doesn't work for me because I'm like, why is he there? Mm-hmm. Like, why is there a Nazi in the gay club? <laughs> like, I mean, because that also kind of plays into this, like, That's really usually how in- it works, right? No, <laughs> the Nazis are always at the gay clubs, and yeah, they're like, "I'm just I, I here mean, to well, inspect I mean, and thing. see what like, the gays are up to, not right. because I'm one myself." Well, no, they're not. Like that's that's this really insidious thing that has just kind of become pervasive, of like mm-hmm. this myth of the gay Nazi, and that all the Nazis yeah. were secretly gay, and they were like secretly giving each other blowjobs, and and that's why they were so overtly homophobic, right. was because they were self-loathing homos, and it's like, no, they weren't. Like they. There is no evidence that, like, the Nazi party was, like, even as gay as the general population, not to say nothing of more so. And it's just, like, it's just kind of, you know, really insidious thing that, like, you know, the movie kind of implies it. And I don't like it. Not a fan. (laughs) I did also want to bring this up just because I could not stop thinking about it once I watched the uh, Sam Mendes one. Speaking of people Uh playing Brian slash Cliff. But uh, Cliff in this is played by Adam Godley who the last thing that I saw him he's one of those character actors when you see him show up you're like oh it's that guy. But the last thing I saw him in was in Succession getting wasabi in his eye uh, as the pollster for ATN. (laughs) Yeah. The guy gets yeah yeah, I'm like oh that's right he's in this. He shows up at shit like um, uh, the grade. He's in Breaking Uh, Bad too. Yeah yeah yeah. He's fucking Elliot in Breaking Bad. I'm like his his American accent has not gotten any better over time. God bless. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause, like, he's but, got one of those faces. He's like, I feel like he's in a lot of 90s movies. Yeah, yeah. He's a character actor. He's a guy with the big ears. Right, right, right. But I'm like, oh, it's Wasabi in his eye guy. Oh, poor Cliff. Um, I did want to <laughs> kind of circle back to this because we talked about it. Because um, I think we saw the the gamut of it in these two productions. Is Sally, is it better if Sally can sing or not? Because uh, I've been going like back and forth in this for the last couple of days. Um, because Jane Horks is very much obviously a shouter. <laughs> I forgot how much of a shouter she is, especially in that title song. And then yeah. on the opposite end yeah. of that, you have fucking Liza Minnelli. Just like... I forget. Is, is Nahash, is, was Natasha Henstridge American? She was English. She Nahash was. Richardson was English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. She was English. Yes. I guess 
we do have to take audience um, <laughs> uh, experience the UX into account, and um, I find it very distracting when they can't sing. Like, I think it's just like whenever they're not like Broadway level Liza singers, that's one thing. Like, again, we I saw both Michelle Williams and Emma Stone. Um, I thought they were both very good. Neither of them are like classically trained Broadway singers, but like I didn't find their singing distracting. Like I thought that was a good level of like, no, you're clearly not a professional singer, but you can hit the notes and that's, that's all I need. Uh, yeah. Natasha Hinstridge and, and Jane Horcrux. I don't know, man. I th- I find it very distracting. <laughs> sure. Sure. I found the, I found the accent a bit distracting too. That weird, like non-transit. I wouldn't even know what it was. Sure. Like the, the, the uh, one that Jane Horcrux was transatlantic. doing. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, it sounded like she. It almost sounded like she was making fun, like the entire time. Yeah, <laughs> like rather than that being her real speaking voice. It's like maybe she's like Madonna pretending to be British. Oh, sure, like she's not actually <laughs> British. Right. She's just like this makes yes, me sound yes. smarter, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Well, I guess like that, that, that like, time I'm on when, camera. Yeah, that, yeah. that <laughs> camera. That that uh, era where Britney Spears was being British. Oh right. You I mean, it's left. a phase. During we all become British, British for yeah. a brief Bitch, period. Yeah. Yeah. You want a hot buddy? You want a Bukati? I, I guess it is like, is it just another one of Sally's lies? But no, I get that too, because I was thinking a lot about that. Um, and just like in, going back to Emma Stone, who I actually really, really enjoyed. And I was thinking about the Sally's I've seen live, especially like at a professional level and how much I actually really, yeah, I thought she was kind of like the perfect balance of like, okay, if you realize Manelli and you're belting like that at the walls, I think you would be able to find work, you know, um, versus mm-hmm. just like, yeah. uh, Jane Hork's just like going like and it's a thing with other Sam Mendes musicals he likes to not cast singers and because he did this production of Company a couple years before because yeah, I guess Alan Cumming is this interesting middle ground because like to my memory he hadn't really sung before mm-hmm. at least professionally mm-hmm. um, and he would in other things like he would go on to be like a little Broadway darling yeah. he actually s- still has a Kit Kat Club inspired club in New York oh that's right called, yeah oh. called called Club Coming which he opened <laughs> after the cabaret revival um, interesting and- name yeah, yeah. And he was in the like he was in Three Penny Opera. He played uh, Max. Yeah, Knight. we saw that together. Yeah, was, I saw it, which I say I think we saw more than once at least because I know I saw it at least like you saw it like I think three or, or four five times. times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, three, like, three or four times at least. Yeah, because it did not run for very long. No, uh, and like that's sort of like my my biggest brush with celebrity was like I saw it opening night and we got these rush seats. Oh right, and and the and the guy who did the. Uh, translation of that show was uh wallace sean who Amazing. you may know speaking oh, okay. of yeah. Yeah, like, inconceivable right. yeah that wallace sean yeah um who i did not know was a like a playwright but that's like his passion he's a he dude was, with plays yeah yeah, yeah. He, he did this like Is i that really the whole point of my dinner with andre yeah, <laughs> right. to do that. i haven't seen my dinner with andre oh doing all oh revelations uh but yeah i uh, uh he he like talked to us for a while about the cast and spilled some tea. He and Alan Cumming oh. did not get along. <laughs> oh, no. I, I don't know if uh, they, they do now, but, like, man, that was a, a very fraught. Like, the cast, it's funny, because, like, we met them a few times, and the cast did not even a little bit 
have any compunction shit talking each other. Like it like I remember meeting Alan Cumming at the stage door and and uh he was he immediately shit talked Nelly McKay and Cindy Lauper. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, who was also Cindy Lauper? Yes, yeah, she oh, was in the cast. Do you remember when and, we saw it? Somebody's phone went off like two seconds into Mac the Knife and she said <laughs> she, she did a pile of pone, like she just broke character and was like, Turn off your fucking oh phone. Two seconds into the opening <laughs> song that she sings. Yeah. And I think about no, yeah, that. that's my my other my other big celebrity run in was that we brought a cupcake for Nellie McKay, a oh. vegan cupcake, and Cindy Lauper comes out and she'd obviously been drinking like they were partying because it was Nellie McKay's birthday, and she sees that we brought her a cupcake and she's like, "Oh my god, Nell!" and like runs back inside and comes back out with this bottle of champagne and gives us champagne. That's <laughs> and awesome. A cherished memory. That, so that, yeah, not, not cabaret related, but that's my Cindy Lauper story. So right. like, Cindy Lauper as cool as you think she is. Yeah, is, is, my, is my verdict. <laughs> also, Anna Gasteyer, she was really nice at the stage. Yeah, show. yeah, Anna Gasteyer, because like the whole, the whole cast was very nice. They just hated each other. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was my takeaway from the three pity opera. Yeah, wow. You don't have to like the people you work with, actually. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and you don't, and and like your faves can all be problematic. And right. You can still like them too. It's great. Right. <laughs> uh, three penny. But yeah, I guess uh, on that note, is there anything uh, yearning, burning, desired to discuss that we've not discussed here? Because obviously yearning, you, could, you could talk about cabaret for hours if left to um, devices. I, say I, I have my notes that uh, the two ladies are both ladies in this version. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In this. Another small change. In the Studio 54 version, it was a lady and a dude. Yeah. But they didn't change the song at all. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting. I'm like it, it, seeing this, how much I love the original uh, or rather, sorry, the Studio 54 version and then like with the revival of it and how burned into my brain mm-hmm. they are and just being like, yeah, it's it's almost there. <laughs> kind of yeah. hard. To, it's kind of hard to watch. I, I, think that I, I find it like so I think of like when I was in high school, I would have watched bootlegs of things, you know, to scratch the itch. Uh, but I, I, now I'm just like, this is frustrating to watch because the, the quality is so low and like yeah. some of the creative decisions they make are like, you know, I think pretty much all of them are for the better. It's like when you watch earlier versions of Hades Town and like also too long, you know, like they, like most of the, you know, changes they made from like the London version and the New York theater, uh, version are, they cut stuff. And cause I think on a lot of cases, less is more. Because I noticed also that this show is not very long. Uh, like the version is only a, an hour like forty. An hour and a half. Yeah, forty minutes. And most Loved of it. the yeah, most of the cuts <laughs> they make to the Studio Fifty Four version are like they cut it. Like they just cut a few lines here and there. Um, like or they you know they show don't tell less is more. They use the stage. You know, I think the ending is much more powerful on stage when they don't have dialogue. And then, like you know, again, spoilers for it is if you haven't you know seen it, it ends with the MC. Like, because uh, he comes out at the beginning of the show in this big leather coat, takes off his, uh, you know, coat to do his little dance and his like, you know, extremely gay outfit of, you know, check me out. And then at the end Sequence of the show, nipples, glitter yeah, nipples, glitter nipples. Them. yeah, his yeah. Joel Schumacher. Yeah, <laughs> it's different. It was different in the final show is a lot more minimalist and a lot more better. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, and, then the, and then at the end of the show, he does the same thing and takes it off and he's wearing you know, striped pajamas, a concentration camp outfit. And he has like, uh, I forget. It's like an upside down triangle and a, and the star. Yeah. Yeah. He's got both. Yeah. 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 He's got both. And, uh, you know, heavily implied that he dies in the concentration camp. Um, and like, that's just how it ends, you know? (laughs) And, uh, you know, I, I think like, 
you know, it's just these little changes that are just kind of frustrating for me to watch, you know, not, not the end of the world. It's just kind of like, man, this would be hitting so much harder if there was no dialogue. Yeah, it is a weird, it is a weird decision to not have that in the film. I don't understand. It just cuts to the reflection yeah. of the like weird mirrored wall in the club. And then it's just like, a I mean, Nazi I don't, or two are sitting there. That's the, the film last shot leans into realism so much. I don't think it would work in the film. Mm. Yeah, but uh, what they do, I don't think works either. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm the way it ends in the film. I'm just kind of like it, it. It's that you have to either decide that the Kit Kat Club is completely like not meant to be taken literally, or it is literal mm-hmm. or not. Because like I could see like oh, if you're looking at the Kit Kat Club purely as like this metaphor, then sure, then I can see why you would end it this way. But yeah, because you have to kind of mix it in with like no actual people who move in and out of this like, and we can establish like no, this has like a ton of queer people working in it. And this is where these characters interact and live. It just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't hit uh, in the same way, but yeah, I don't think they could do the same thing with the MC. I don't even, I think the Sam Mendes version did invent the idea that the MC yeah, yeah, is. I think it did yeah. because uh, he, that wasn't in the 1980s, whatever version. Um, Cause that was the one we had the license to at NYU and basically made it into the Sam Mendes version, which is like a little illegal. That's, uh, that's what we did for my, co- my college yeah, production yeah. did the exact same thing. We just straight up just did the oh. Sam Mendes version. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cause like the 1980 version was uh, basically the same version that ran on Broadway in the 1960s. It didn't have uh, mine hair, maybe this time. And it had a couple of other songs oh, like sitting pretty uh, and yeah. 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 Sky that got cut. Yeah. For the Sam Mendes version. So, yeah, it's, I feel like that's what all college plays do is they pay for the license to do <laughs> right. the 1980. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then they just secretly do the Sam Mendes version. My, our director did the, like, literally of dollars the exact that same Sam show. Mendes yeah. 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 Dozens. Yeah. Uh, we're depriving Missing Sam out. Mendes. I'm so yeah. sorry, Sam Mendes. This is why Maybe he had to too. make 19. He's, he's really doing poorly right now, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did he do nine? No, uh, that, no was that was Rob Marshall. Yeah. 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 I, yeah. I still get Who those did the choreography confused. for the Studio 54 version? Okay. So I was enough. like, no wonder they are like entwined. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like, uh, who did our friend, friend of the podcast who popped Rob Marshall, who has been on here <laughs> many yeah. times. No. Yeah. I think this, that was solely the invention of Sam Mendes is giving us mm-hmm. that. Whereas like the Joel Gray MC yeah, is meant to be very, a little bit more it's very ominous. Bold. Yeah. 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 I guess that's the thing. Like Joel Gray MC is definitely meant to be a little more of like a ominous character where I feel like the Alan Cumming. MC is a little more victim of the times. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, I think that's part of what, like, as as the show progresses and, like, it's not that he's a part of the set decoration so much as he's coping with it. Like, the way he plays it is, is like a junkie that mm. is getting progressively more and more, um, like, addicted as the show goes on. And so, like, whenever he introduces Sally before Cabaret, uh-huh. the number, um, he's he, he looks like he's, like coming down from a really bad high. You know, he looks he looks like a mess and like his makeup is all messed up and he's like, We're so happy to <laughs> bring me out. And so like and you know, obviously that was deliberate on his part where it's just like you have this sort of running theme of these characters running away from the, you know, very unpalatable reality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, like, Sally and Cliff do it, but, like, the MC does it, too, and I don't think that was really present in earlier versions. Yeah, I think this also just, it, this exists after the wake of, you know, other things in theater, like Bent, the play Bent, that talked, like, that, that were mainstream successes in theater that talked about, like, um, sexuality in the Weimar Republic and in, like, the, the height of the Nazis, and it would feel kind of strange to not 
address it as I don't know like that, that that's just me spinning uh, threads here right now but yeah I'm just thinking about how when we saw it uh, for your 30th birthday we sat right up in the very front row mm-hmm. and um, we got a lot of Alan Cummings it is wild we got a lot she, of Alan Cummings yeah, face got a lot uh, of coming got a lot of coming in our faces and I was uh, thinking of like how, <laughs> ch- how comparatively cheap because at the time that was like breaking the bank because oh, right, like $150 yeah. seats yeah <laughs> and we were just like we're gonna do we're it doing man. it we're, we're, gonna, gonna, we're gonna make so it great yeah. <laughs> like and now it's like every show is like 150 on the low end right like yeah, I'd pay that much to sit in the mezzanine at Phantom you know so yeah, those are, <laughs> yeah front row seats not baby. anymore yeah. not anymore not anymore not anymore yeah those would go for like three or four hundred today if yeah they, if they were especially considering how small Studio 54 is yeah and the fact that it was like Oscar nominees and Oscar winners right <laughs> right, right. You know, in the cast like yeah. these were like movie stars Alan Cumming was way more famous in 2014 than he right. was in 1998 right because of the, the mask too yeah exactly or uh Spy Kids, <laughs> the Spy Spy Kids. Kids. Yeah. Josie and the Pussycats yeah. Josie and the Pussycats yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Kids. um he sang yeah. in Spy Kids I'm really uh, interested to see Eddie Redmayne in this production on this team. Like it was a teeny tiny stage in London, because yeah, you didn't see Eddie Redmayne. No, right? I saw Froffy, who also was in the Les Mis movie as one of the Les Amis de ABC. I forget which one he was specifically, and he was fantastic. And I was very glad I saw him. And the woman I saw as Sally, Amy Lennox, also I think on par with Emma Stone, and she was like Emma Stone, but a actually the trained singer and knew how to kind of like dial it back mm-hmm. really well. Um, sh- I think there's a video of her singing at the Olivier's and it's a uh, cabaret and it's, it's fantastic. But um, yeah, uh, very, very excited to see how it translates. I know they're kind of redoing the whole stage entirely to be like the London production, which did a great comet thing where mm-hmm. it gutted everything to mm-hmm. make like this. Is it, interactive... it going to be a studio 54? No, it's at the long acre theater. I think I, I, I might be misremembering, so but yeah. Long acre. Yeah. Sorry. That, I don't, like all the theaters have funny names. Yeah. Long acre. Yeah. It's like, okay, Longacre. Right, right. I think it's that, um, because it's not the Imperial. But um, anyway, yeah, uh, very excited to see uh, one of the shows that, again, I I told Lindsay this story, but when I saw it in London, I was sitting next to uh, a a couple that was like, the guy was American and the woman was British, and they were having a great time. We were sitting, talking before the show started, and then like, the one thing that I forgot that I did want to bring up is like how many times I've seen the show and people gasp at the ending of Act One when the Nazi army oh, is Nazis. Yeah, they're like, wait, there are Nazis in this? Like, just they're not Nazis yes. in my Germany. Like to me, you know, as likely than you think. As as on the nose as the ending of the show is, and I'm glad they they cut that. Uh, like, I don't think it's entirely subtle that there are going to be some Nazis in this show showing up here. So, like, yeah. they're like, oh, Max works for a political party, and you're like, mm, yeah, yeah. smuggling what stuff. Having Cliff smuggle some illegal stuff that you probably don't want anybody to. Don't let the border crossing find out. They might give you a fine. And so this couple just next to me, the gasp. And like it was a collective thing in the audience. People just went (gasps) like and I was just like, oh, sure. And then so during intermission, we were talking again and they were like, oh, this is fantastic. We've never seen we don't see a lot of Broadway shows. We've only ever seen We Will Rock You. And I think, oh, it was like um, Starlight Express or something to that It was effect. a Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. It was Mamma Mia. Yeah, it was Mamma Mia and We Will Rock You. And, and so I was like, oh, so what do you think of this? So like, well, we were really shocked by where it went at the end of the first act. <laughs> they bought me champagne. So, you know, I am like, yeah. <laughs> like, okay, you're Sitting forgiven. there and drinking you're with forgiven. Cindy Lauper. They, they were loving it, though. So I'm like, you know what? Good. They're like, wow, it's yeah. really relevant. I didn't think a show this old would like, the you know. Yeah, yeah. So fascism has cycles and predictable patterns of behavior. Right. What? It was it was an interesting experience, uh, but I am excited that uh, you know it's well. I do think I do think that is what kind of makes it hit different now um, compared to like in two thousand three when it's like 
Yeah, you know, it's like we had the military industrial thing, but like, I don't think anyone was going to call Bush like a fascist in the way that we are seeing now, you know, because Bush's nonsense wasn't a backlash to social groups getting rights, you know, Bush just wanted to, I mean, it was weird. Yeah. But no, like, I, yeah. I get you're <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think and it's just like, because the roots of fascism really are like from the ground up where people become um, really vulnerable to this idea of minority groups being at fault for all of your problems, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like everything that is wrong with the world is because, you know, the trans people are doing a grooming on your children. Yeah. And if we just get rid of them, <clears throat> then you'll have, health insurance i don't I, right I'm not, entirely, I'm not entirely sure how the how the yeah it's like we just need to get rid of them because they are a clear and present danger and like that was not a part of like mainstream conservative rhetoric back then like uh and so it's like interesting it does feel a lot more it, it hits differently now because like back then it was like it did feel like oh interesting history and yeah. now it's like oh no oh, right. no. <laughs> oh no it's happening again especially yeah. like with the very clear demonization of queer people in particular mm-hmm. and that being like the, the main subtext and sort of like the main driver now of people like, you know, Ron DeSantis uh, and, and that just being like his entire thing is we have to destroy the queers right. <laughs> because they're or the reason goes to die. It's yeah. Literally his campaign slogan. <laughs> oh, oh, wow. That's not threatening at all, yeah. sir. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Uh, mm. So yeah, cabaret, so it's cabaret, <laughs> uh, always prescient. I guess like the things we've learned about like uh, fascism and f- the rise of fascist movements is they always have patterns, mm-hmm. and uh, we're living through one right now. And as to, I guess that's that's sort of the weird thing is like there, you cannot help but feel this like the same kind of fr- uh, Schulzian it's not gonna happen. Right. Yeah. You know, kind of so like it's not either. really gonna yeah. happen here. Even though like the groundwork for the mega coup has absolutely been laid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think one of those things that about the movie too that cuz it just does not happen cuz one, you know, Cliff and Sally never have that major falling out and things seem fine but that those lines at the end of the show that Cliff has where he's writing his book. He goes, you know, I was with, I was, it was the end of the world and I was dancing with mm-hmm. Sally Bowles and we were fast asleep. Like to me are just like I think some of the best lines in any book were ever written for a show. Right. And just like, like, and that's missing from that in the movie. But to me, like right. that sums up what that feeling of like living through this is until you have realized, uh Oh, yeah. too late that you are in, in this, I think, like, you know, the question like, is like, at what point do you admit that you're in it? Because yeah. like where we are right now, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, technically Democrats are in power. We're like Germany, 1928. Mm. I think a lot of people would say we're already in yeah. like a Holocaust of sorts, especially like if you look at it in, in, from a global perspective, like look at what's going on in Israel. Like this is a genocide and, and the U.S. is enabling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I guess there's this sort of attitude like, well, until we're killing our own, it doesn't count. But even if you like look at it, like who in 1928 in Germany could have even in their wildest dreams yeah. predicted how extreme it would have gotten like even the weirdest pessimist. And I think like to imagine like, okay, so that was like, you know, 12 million people. That's, that was like 15% of the German population at the time. And yeah, I know a bunch of them are Poles, whatever like that, that can you like 10% of the U S population 
is like what 30 million people like again just trying to imagine like what that scale would look like Mm -hmm. and like we even pessimists that we all are i think all three of us have a hard time imagining like 35 million people getting slaughtered in in like a state sponsored like unimaginable slaughterhouse yeah but that's what happened and so it's like we are in the could be not are but like we could be in the very early stages of that if you know things play out in the same way they did in nazi germany yeah and, and that's cabaret. And that's cabaret. <laughs> like that that yeah. that slow backside where you're laughing the whole time and Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's the only thing you can do. Like I was literally just like listening to KNX ten seventy, which is our local centrist radio station, and they're, you know, talking about the war in Israel and kind of leaving out a lot of stuff. And I'm just kind of like sitting here feeling really frustrated and thinking like, well, what do we do? What can we do? Like from a realistic standpoint, like you can disrupt, but is that helpful? I don't know. Like Mm. (laughs) there is good point, you know, there there is good data to show that it's not. Um, You can throw money at it. That's not going to stop the killing. Um, And it's just, that's the other weird thing about living through times like these is like, at the end of the day, as individuals, we are extremely powerless. And what can you do but kind of chuckle nervously through it after you've done what you consider your due diligence, whether that be like going to a protest or writing your congressperson or throwing money at it. Like you you still have to live your life. You still have to go to work. You still have to do whatever. Right. You need your license to let rooms. You need like, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Especially here in California, like one of our, uh, a friend of mine who lives in Atlanta, uh, who's another YouTuber, he was just kind of in one of our group chats, just out of nowhere, just goes, I think I'm legitimately going to move to Canada if Trump Mm-hmm. gets elected mm-hmm. and my of course my first thought was he's not gonna get elected he was exactly right right right, right exactly yeah yeah it's never happened before it's never happened before no and and then like because immediately i go into like well there's all these like trials it's very different you know and it's just like and then just like but the trials could help him <laughs> getting convicted could help him we don't know we don't know what's going to happen but at that same time like there's this self-preservation instinct that kind of kicks in we're just like, what can you do but run away? Yeah, you know exactly. It's like we all lived through 2016. Like, what? The, like, why are we? Yeah. Why are we like? No, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. Yeah, and, and abortion's gonna stay legal in right. California. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. Um, I don't have anything to worry about. So cabaret, folks, if you haven't checked it out after yeah. listening to this, <laughs> yeah, it'll, get, it'll give you lots of <laughs> lots of thoughts, lots of feelings, lots of thoughts. Um, what a show! I'm sure you're not. Yeah. I'm sure you're not worried about yeah. the rise of fascism. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> what a show to uh, close this podcast out on. And uh, yeah. Yeah. What we're light boring. subject matter to leave our audiences <laughs> with. Yeah. To be thinking the only, about. the only thing I know is it could never happen here. Never. Absolutely. No, no, never. Uh, Why would never. you say that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, honestly, though, I am glad that this is kind of what we're going out on because, you know, for all of the every time we watch something like silly, like and frivolous, like cats, I do think. You know, there is a lot of lasting significance, however much you have to suffer to get to shows that mm-hmm. have that mm-hmm. in yeah. this art form. Well, I guess the thing about cabaret or show, like, is it does kind of remind me why, like, I kind of glommed onto musical theater and its potential as a vessel for ideas um, when I was younger. And, um, you know, and I guess, like, it, 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 as, as much as, like, the Mamma Mia's and the cats of the world are kind of fun to, you know, have yeah have a, have a good fun afternoon with and drink mimosas, yeah you know that like it I feel I feel like it is more fitting to end here even if like 
five years from now, 10 years from now, we're going to look back on this and be like, well, we sort of dodged a bullet or yeah, we were in 1928 Germany and there was nothing we could do. We (laughs) were fast asleep because that's the only thing you can do. Yeah. Any, any, any parting thoughts that we want to put out here? Um, Yeah, I think uh, let's get into our, I think that concludes our discussion about cabaret. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Listeners, you guys can let us know what you think about cabaret. Uh, it's weird to say this for the last time. You can follow us on. Yeah. X will still be. That's my bad Cinderella. Bad Cinderella. Oh, you bad Cinderella. <laughs> my bad Cinderella. Let's merch. end on bad Cinderella. Let's end the discussion yeah. on bad Cinderella. Um, no. uh, yes, yes. Please. Sh- There's some real cultural commentary. <laughs> please share your thoughts right. with us about this show, and if you agree or disagree, as you often have throughout the years, uh, yeah. at Musical Splaining with No G on ins- on Twitter, at Musical Splaining with a G on Instagram. Um, of course, I guess, thank you guys for listening. Uh, yeah, I don't know why so I said much. that as a question. It's, it's weird to even be <laughs> yeah, in this place. And, you know, you think about <laughs> okay. it. I've been thinking about how we actually end this and I'm like, what do, how do it, it's weird. It's weird to think about how you wrap this up, uh, to be able to do this for the last yeah. time. But, uh, how about we, we each go, I'll, I'll go first. I'll, I'll say my thanks and, and then you guys can each go. But, you know, I'm very grateful to everybody who listened to the show over the course of the years. Uh, it's been a very, <laughs> it's been a strange journey for me, suffice it to say. Uh, I want to thank uh, both of you ladies, of course, for going on this journey with me. Lindsay, in particular, I want to thank you for taking this really just bizarre uh, ch- <laughs> chance. Well, I want to thank you for monetizing your yeah. hate so effectively. <laughs> um, but also, I, you know, I had never done anything like this before. Um, mm-hmm. so it, it meant a lot that you, you did stick your neck out for me quite a bit and you sort of, th- you threw me in the deep end, but you also were, <laughs> were, were behind were me the whole way. So, <laughs> uh, fine. I, I really appreciate you doing that. And I think that that's a really wonderful thing for us to do for others if we're in a position to be able to do it. So yeah. I am a product yeah. of my yeah. tens of fans that I have now is because of you throwing your support behind me. So thank you for that. Uh, it really oh, means well, a lot. You. It was a really, it's a really meaningful thing that happened to me in my life. And, and Angie, I want to thank you for stepping up to the plate. And, and, you know, as I said before, like you really, Lindsay's not huge, but her shoes are very big and you had to fill those shoes and it was not easy. Uh, and I don't think at any <laughs> What's point. What's ironic <laughs> is that is not true. Yeah. <laughs> like in a literal, like we both have very tiny feet. Very tiny yeah, feet. Little you, feet. You're what, a six and a half feet? Oh, I'm seven, yeah. Oh seven no, we're half, both yeah. seven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Right. Seven. So actually, my feet are smaller than yours. Wow, so. we got the littlest yeah. feet, but the biggest heart I mean, and biggest ideas. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's just a funny metaphor to use for us specifically. Yes, yeah. <laughs> but yes, Angie, thank you. Thank you for filling those shoes. Thank you for for you know, going with it all the way because at that point we were already going like 110 miles an hour and you even more so than they were forced <laughs> to sort of fucking be like, I guess I'm going to run alongside this car and try and see if I can jump mm. in. And thank you for uh, bringing a different perspective to the show altogether. It was, it was also nice to, it felt kind of reinvented in a different way and, and talk to somebody else as so a totally different approach to it. And sort mm-hmm. of between the both of you, I got to feel a sense of a more complete sense of, of the kinds of people that enjoyed this show and, and this medium and to be able to experience it through both of your eyes was really lovely. Um, I also want to thank shout out to Paul or sound guy that we never really <laughs> gave a proper shout out to, but you know, we're working in different States and different cities and Paul was able to splice us all three or two together, different guests in different countries even, and make us all sound like we're in the same room, which really shouldn't go 
unnoticed in terms of the impact that yeah. that has to make these conversations feel much more intimate and, and lovely and nice. And, and the most important part of this was to feel like we are your, as albeit parasocial, but like, you know, we're all kind of <laughs> friends here. We live in your ears and that's like a very intimate specific thing. So thank you, Paul, for, for making that happen. And also thanks to everybody at Nebula and Dave Wiskus and, 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 and all the different folks that have helped us get sponsors and be able to actually put this show together and make it so that we're not you know, homeless on the street trying to record a podcast and, and make it sustainable. Um, so yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. Thanks to all those people. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to say, yeah, the, uh, number one, like, thank you too, for both having me, letting me join you uh, guys for this ride. Uh, thank you again. Lin- Lindsay uh, has done the same for me, stuck her neck out for me in, in a way that I think is a incredible way to approach how you treat the people that you care about in your life. And so I thank you so much for thinking of me, number one, and sticking your neck out for me. I, Kava, thank you for w- meeting you right away in <laughs> your literal hell seeing Phantom of the Opera and still <laughs> wanting to actually talk to me after how much I hyped it up and disappointed you. That is that is just a leap of faith. But also thank you so much for, um, I guess I, one of my big takeaways from this is just like, I, I tend to keep to myself. I'm a, I'm a, as much as I love to talk, I'm, I, I, usually kind of just do my own thing. But uh, one of the things I, I've taken away from this that I love so much is that it, it is worth putting your own opinion out there in the yeah. world. Like you shouldn't feel scared of putting your opinions out there, you know, and the things, especially if you love something, if you love something, yeah. even if you have to explain it to somebody like Kave, who's just going to like <laughs> frown at you the whole time, <laughs> just going to be like, I don't get it. I don't get it. Uh, there's, there's value in that. There's so much value in sharing what you love. And then even listening to like when someone just disagrees with you. And this has been such a fun way to just like, deal with that because it's very easy for me to shut things out and so this was a very new thing for me and a, but a very tremendously rewarding thing to have done um so thank you both so much for this this has been just so much fun just so so rewarding for me uh yeah thanks to all of our listeners you're all great thank you for just sending me gifts of stuff uh just th- thank you for just yeah thank you for just listening it's been great i love it's been so much fun talking about something i really 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 love with people who hate it or <laughs> love it um but uh and yeah thanks to everyone at nebula and paul and everyone who just there, a lot of work goes into a podcast and i just i didn't realize that either and i want to also say thank you for that but yes thank you so much um and yeah so i guess thank you both uh for you know sticking through it through the years hopefully this won't be our last project we collaborate on because like like we said it's the uh it's the end of this era the end of my marge germany (laughs) (laughs) you know just not the end of all things yeah Yeah. The end of the singing and the dancing. Yeah. We'll have to, I mean, maybe we should, yeah, we should finally get that podcast about 9-11 started where, you know, Kavi's <laughs> got a lot of feelings. Yeah. Lots you know, of feelings. Time to monetize it. Yeah. The take and then you can be in charge and then I can be like, what? There's yeah. yeah. <laughs> 9-11 explaining. You get profiled? No one gets profiled. That's no. not a thing. You've got green eyes. <laughs> <laughs> So hang on to the edge of your seat, listeners. Uh, yeah. This is, this are, 9-11 splating. Coming, 9/11 splating. Coming, splating. coming real soon. Yeah, coming real It'll be fun. <laughs> we'll have an episode about uh, uh, French Freedom Fries. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Pouring wine Remember in the streets. Remember the good times. It'll yeah. be great. It'll be great. But yes, yeah, so I guess in the words, the immortal words of Oscar Hammerson II, so long, farewell. Avita Sane. Adieu, adieu, It's not to you and you and you. Uh, it's not goodbye. It's just uh, I got to go take a very long, hot, steamy uh, dump. Sweaty and, dump. Uh, yeah. It's a hot, steamy, sweaty oh, dump. And, and, uh, and you guys have uh, 
last yeah. quick because it is a podcast and we got jobs to do. What's your what's your finale? You guys have like a a Nebula video dropping soon, right? You have the first ten minutes. Yeah, of one it, thing it should got be. Like it should be thing. out by now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it should be by the time this is released. It should be up on both Nebula and YouTube, or at least the first ten minutes are on YouTube as a as a teaser to get people to. Nebula, unless unless uh, Yoko Ono dies in the next seven days, yeah. which is a possibility, yeah. then I, I think I'm, I probably might make the whole thing public on YouTube because I actually have the option for this one, uh, which I think, you know, because, you know, we, we, we've we developed some strong Yoko Ono feelings. Yeah, Yoko <laughs> Slaining is coming. Yoko, Yoko Slaining coming 2024. <laughs> I don't want to it's just like, it's just not that I don't want to say it. Yoko did nothing wrong. I think that phrase is bad. Yeah. I think we should get rid of it. Yeah. So and so did nothing wrong. Have you ever done nothing wrong? Everyone no. has done something a little bit wrong. Um, yeah. Also it, irrelevant. Irrelevant. She, to the argument. Yeah, she didn't break up the Beatles. Leave yeah. her alone. Yeah. Yeah. So look so for yeah, that Yoko's on Nebula. Also coming. Yoko explaining coming yeah. on Nebula. Hopefully Yoko's by the time this on comes Nebula. out. <laughs> uh, and also, of course, uh, look for 500 open tabs next month. Hopefully in mid January. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a fun time. So please, uh, do your best to follow me onto the next project. It's not going to be anything like this, which should be interesting to say the least, because you'll get to see mm. a different side of, of my nonsense. Um, so all I know is that ever since you told me about it, I've been closing my tabs. Religiously no, I'm, I'm, open. Like, <laughs> I'm like, no, oh, this cannot be that. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> uh, but yeah, anywhere it, it's at 500 open tabs across all social media. So go check it out and look for updates. We'll, we'll be releasing uh, episodes next month and we'll let you guys know. Um, so anyway, I guess for the final time we shall say, see you at the theater. Probably not me, but you two, they'll see you two mm-hmm. at the theater, but I have gladly, uh, we'll probably never watch a musical again for the rest of my life unless <laughs> yeah. this is going to be... Uh, we, we did unless it. We, we, yeah, we did it. Right. <laughs> I did it. I've seen all the musicals. Uh, but anyway, thanks again, you guys. Yes. Yes. Signing off. See you at the theater. See you at the theater. <laughs> Bye. Cats!